first three uh, over recent weeks. Um, today we're coming to number four, but just worth pausing again just with those four things on the screen. Um, and maybe just to, to remember again, um, at this moment in the story of the church in Acts, there were lots of dramatic and exciting things happening. There were thousands of people coming to faith uh, at a time. There were miracles of healing and signs and wonders that were happening all around the church. Um, and I'm guessing you and I, we, we would love to see those things happening here and now. Uh, people coming to faith in their hundreds, people, uh, miracles of all kinds happening all around us. But this verse, I think, reminds us if we want to see those exciting, dramatic things happening in the church, um, if they're going to happen in a healthy way, then we need these four things, which maybe seem simple and quiet and undramatic, but these four things are essential to the, the flourishing and the, the health and the life uh, of the church. So this week we want to think about this one, uh, about the prayers. They were devoted to prayer, or they were devoted to the prayers. Uh, we said we, we could translate devoted as passionately committed. So when you asked about the early Christians, how did they feel about prayer? What was their posture towards prayer? They were passionately committed to it. And so maybe immediately I wonder, um, if you and I were being asked, um, how would you describe your relationship to prayer? Um, how would people watching your life describe your relationship to prayer? Um, I'm going to take a little guess here because I know from chatting to people and I know from my own experience um, that very often uh, if someone asked us what how we feel about prayer, our honest answer very often would, would be, I believe it's important. <laughs> I struggle with it and I find it hard and I feel bad that I don't do it more. Okay. I think on most days of our lives, that's our honest response. We know it's really important. Uh, we find it hard for different reasons. And we, we feel bad uh, that we don't do it more. I'm, I'm hoping what we explore this morning uh, might help us a little bit in meeting us where we are, but maybe helping us uh, take some steps forward. Um, here, here's something that's kind of helped, helped me. Um, I got a little bit curious about why, in, in the, the literal translation of this verse, why does it say they were devoted to the prayers rather than just the prayer? I got a little bit curious about that and sort of wondered about it a little bit. Um, I think there's a clue a few verses later, uh, in verse 46, when it says this. Oops, I'm ticker failing me. It says, oh, go back, there we go. Um, it says, every day they met together in the temple courts. I wonder if you wondered about, about that practice of the early Christians. Um, I think it's a little clue. Uh, most of these early Christians in Jerusalem uh, were Jewish. Uh, they'd, they'd come from the Jewish faith and they'd come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But they still followed many of the habits and patterns of the Jewish faith and Jewish life. Um, and one of the habits and patterns of Jewish faith was to pause three times a day to pray. Um, I, I find this really intriguing and thinking about it a little bit. I think I've lost all power here, Caleb, so I just let you move me on. Um, they, they pause three times a day. The third hour, I have to put these on the clock uh, so you can figure out where they are. So the third hour 
and, and their clock is about nine o'clock in the morning. They pause at the sixth hour up at the top, which is at 12 noon, and they pause at the ninth hour, which is what we would call three o'clock in the afternoon. Those were the, the set times of prayer in the Jewish pattern. Um, interestingly, that wasn't something directly commanded in the Old Testament, uh, but there are little hints of it in the Old Testament. Um, maybe, maybe the most famous example that comes to mind is Daniel. And do you remember how Daniel had this pattern and this habit of praying by his window three times every day? So there's a little reflection of that pattern. Um, and you get little echoes of it sometimes even in the Psalms as well. So in Psalm 55 verse 17, it talks about praying in the evening, in the morning, and at noon. So there again is that three times a day habit. Uh, Maybe where we get the phrase morning, noon, and night uh, from, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but that kind of three times a day pattern. And actually there are other clues in the book of Acts that the early Christians kept this Jewish habit and carried it into their, their Christian life. Um, so in Acts chapter 3, uh, remember the famous story where Peter and John were on their way to the temple and they met a lame man by the beautiful gate. Um, and it tells us in that story that they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer around the ninth hour. So there's Peter and John going to the temple to pray at which one? Three o'clock in the afternoon. And that's where that story happened. Later on in Acts, in Acts 10, do you remember when Peter went up on his rooftop to pray and then he had that extraordinary vision of the sheep and the, and the animals and so on? And it says in that story, Peter went up on his rooftop to pray about the sixth hour, about midday. So you see these little clues that the early Christians kept this three times a day pattern. Um, and maybe another little bit that intrigued me was the Christians may have had extra reasons for pausing at these times. Uh, that were distinctive to being Christian rather than Jewish. Because when you go back and read the Gospels, and you read the story, if we move on the slide, um, you read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. What do we read in that story? That Jesus was crucified at the third hour. That darkness came over the land at the sixth hour. And the darkness lasted until the ninth hour, when Jesus gave up his birth. And so for the Christians, this there was this extra depth and dimension to these three hours as they reflected on the central event of their faith and the death of Jesus. And even then, when you go into the book of Acts, um, the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. What time was the Holy Spirit given? Uh, the Holy Spirit was given at the third hour, at nine o'clock in the morning. So you see how these times seem to be important um, in the story of the New Testament and how the church was born. So. What do you and I do with all of that? Um, I don't want to, I'm not going to try and make a case this morning for observing those particular times. I'm not going to try and persuade you that you need to pray at nine o'clock and midday and three, though it's not a bad thing to do uh, if you want to. Uh, it's not something commanded for us in the New Testament or by Jesus. Um, but I do think that there's wisdom here for us in, in, their, in their example, and it's maybe this, uh, that prayer needs to be a regular habit in our days. Move on the slide, Caleb. Um, prayer needs to be a regular habit in our in the pattern of our days. Um, on days when we feel like it, and on days when we don't. <laughs> on days when it suits us, and on days when it doesn't. 
it's part of what I feel challenged by as I read the example of the early Christians. Um, and I, I guess the message I have on my heart this morning is quite a simple one and maybe quite a blunt one. Uh, I'm gonna maybe sort of say quite directly, especially maybe this is a challenge for my generation and younger. So I'm not letting everybody older off the hook, but I do feel that there's a special challenge for my generation and younger. So I'm, I'm 43, if that helps. You need to figure out whether I'm talking to you. Um, I, I think our, our, gen, our younger generations struggle with the idea of something regular and repeated. And we, we always want things, especially in the life of faith, to be spontaneous and adventurous. And we want prayer to be kind of unstructured and unconstrained. And we want to, we want to be people who pray all the time, wherever we go. And we want prayer to be a natural part of our lives and not something kind of boring and dutiful, right? And that is a really good thing to desire. That's a really good goal, to pray all the time and on the go and on the move and just be full of prayer, spilling over with prayer all the time. But I keep coming back to this challenge for myself, and I want to put it to you as well, that we won't become people who pray all the time and everywhere unless we first become people who pray at some time, in some place. Um, at least at one time and in one place. That's where we need to begin. Um, maybe I want to encourage you, um, think of people you've known in your life who inspire you by their spiritual life and who are kind of prayer warriors, those people in your life, um, who live and breathe a life of prayer. And I, I, I very automatically, you'll not be surprised, think of my grandfather who sometimes when I was talking to him, I felt like he would, one minute he was talking to me and the next minute he was talking to God, and you didn't even notice the boundary sometimes. It was just natural for conversation to, to be with you and with God and, uh, and so on. Um, think of people you know like that, people who, are, who pray passionately and naturally and all the time. Um, but I guarantee you, if you ask those people or watch their example, they began with a simple habit of regular prayer. They had a time for prayer, and they had a place for prayer. We move on the slide. Um, and they usually kept that habit going all lifelong. So yes, they prayed spontaneously and naturally all the time, but at the heart of their life, the open secret was there was a time and a place, and there was a regularity, and there was a habit. Um, I think the same is true. Um, Debbie and I were talking the other day about how when we were younger, um, people used to often give us and encourage us to read biographies of inspiring Christians who had done extraordinary things. And we were talking about how we need, I think we need to get those bi biographies back out and republished and into the hands of the next generation, because uh, they did us a lot of good. But if you think about any of those people whose stories really inspire you, uh, whether it's William Wil Wilberforce standing against slavery, or Cory Ten Boom and her, her family hiding Jewish people uh, during the war, uh, or George Miller building orphanages for uh, thousands of children in England, or Jackie Pullinger going to work among drug, drug addicts in Hong Kong, or whoever, whoever it is, uh, and other heroes of faith that maybe you have closer to home who've done really significant things courageously for God. And again, I want to suggest if you examine the record of their lives and look for clues, you'll find a time and a place in their days. 
a regular pattern of being alone with God. I think you'll find that repeated again and again. Um, if we want to be those kind of radical disciples who change the world, it seems like this is really important. Um, and of course, when we look at the example of Jesus himself, um, Jesus, Jesus was the Son of God. Um, he walked in tune in harmony with the Father. So surely for Jesus, prayer was as natural as breathing, right? Surely he just walked in the Father's presence and the Father's love all the time. And I think that's true. And yet, what do we read again and again? Things like this. That he often withdrew by himself to a quiet place to pray. Often. The people who watched his life saw this pattern repeated. Um, it seemed like especially when the pressure was on and the crowds were around him and life was busy, he got up early in the morning and went to a quiet place to be alone with the Father. So you see this pattern repeated. Maybe go back to the chair to, or on to the next slide. Um, if people, uh, maybe I want to ask you this question. If people watched your life day by day, um, what, what would they say that you're devoted to? What would they say that you're passionately committed to? Um, and I guess part of what I was thinking about was, uh, I, I guess the second question is, how do they know what you're devoted to and, and passionately committed to? And I think the truth is people know what we're passionately committed to because we show up in a particular place, in a particular activity. So people know that you're devoted to fitness, because you show up again and again in the gym uh, on the days when you feel like it, on the days when you don't feel like it, on the days when it suits and the days when it doesn't, you show up. And so they say he's passionately committed to that. People know that you're devoted to your favorite TV show because you show up on your sofa at the time when it's on to watch it um, again and again and again. Um, people know that you're devoted to coffee and scones and your favorite coffee shop because you keep showing up again and again, right? When we're devoted to something, we show up. We bring our body to that place at a certain time, and we show up again and again. You know Billy Robinson's devoted to cycling because he shows up on his bike in the wind and the rain, no matter what's going on. Um, and you can add your own examples uh, in there as well. Um, if you and I are devoted, or want to be devoted to prayer, um, I want to encourage you, this is a very simple challenge. Choose a time, <laughs> choose a place, and show up day after day. Repeat, <laughs> do it again. Um, and it might be a chair by a window, uh, or it might be a path in the forest where you walk with your dog, or it might be a bench in your workplace where you go at lunchtime. I remember Gem Gemma Hayburn when she was still here, uh, when she finished up working in the uni. Uh, put up a photo on social media of a bench in the university where she'd gone every day to sit and pray. That is a habit that will make a huge difference to your life. So choose a place, choose a time, and show up. And it's going to look different at different stages of life. And if you have young kids, it's challenging. And if you're working long hours, it's challenging. Um, depending on the, the stage of life, it's going to look different. Uh, we're going to need to find a habit that is sustainable for us um, don't try to be a hero, but choose a pattern that's sustainable and show up day after day. Um, and it's kind of just been very much in my heart uh, as I reflected on this this week. If we're, if we're going to not only survive 
the winter of coronavirus, uh, but actually thrive and grow and flourish, as I believe we really can, then there's going to be for you and there's going to be for me a time and a place where we show up and pray. Um, and if we're going to become the deep, mature, radical disciples of Jesus that we wish we were, laying down our lives for Jesus and his kingdom and making a difference in our world, in our generation, then there's going to be a time and a place where we show up and are with our Father. Um, I've been reading uh, recently a book by my, my namesake, uh, John Mark Comer. Um, I'm kind of rereading it at the minute, highly recommend it, The, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurley. Uh, I read it too fast the first time, so I'm trying to read it slowly <laughs> the second time. Um, but I was really challenged. John Mark Comer's about my age or a little bit younger, so we're of the same-ish generation. Um, and he, he says in the book we, that we heard a lot growing up about the quiet time. And there's something about our generation and younger that have reacted against that and either stopped talking about it or only referred to the quiet time with a kind of rolling of our eyes um, and a little bit of sarcasm. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, I think at times the quiet time was communicated to us maybe in a way that was heavy and legalistic, where the motivation maybe seemed to be guilt and shame and duty. And so there was some kind of reaction against that and a running the other way. Um, but the more I reflect, and maybe it's as I get older, I think the results of running the other way have been disastrous for our generation. Our spirituality has become kind of ruthless and vague and weak and watery. And you find yourself asking, where are the next generation of prayer warriors? Right? Where, where are the next generation of radical disciples who are completely sold out for Jesus? Because it doesn't happen without the showing up. Um, so I feel really challenged. Joe Markover um, ends his chapter on kind of silence and sol solitude uh, by saying this uh, to his generation uh, and mine. He says, I have a secret. Don't judge me. I still practice a quiet time every day. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's usually the best part of my day, hands down. And I'm not even a morning person. And this is what he says. He says, I say we bring back the quiet time and rock it like it's 1999. <laughs> and he says, here's to tomorrow, six o'clock, better late for me, but six o'clock, coffee, the chair by the window, the window by the tree, Time to breathe, a psalm and a story from the Gospels, hearing the Father's voice, pouring out my own, or just sitting resting. Maybe I'll hear a word from God that will alter my destiny. Maybe I'll just process my anger over something that's bothering me. Maybe I'll feel my mind settle like untouched water. Maybe my mind will ricochet from thought to thought and never, never come to rest. If so, that's fine, because I'll be back. Same time tomorrow, starting my day in the quiet place. How about you? Um, I find that really challenging. So I want to rock it like it's 1999. Um, we're going to bring back the quiet time. Um, I'm nearly finished. Um, before, we, before we end, um, maybe we might ask, what should we do when we show up uh, in the quiet place? Um, I don't want to say very much about how we pray, uh, but I love, uh, I love this very, very simple definition of prayer from Dallas Willard, um, who's one of my spiritual heroes and has many profound things to say, but here's a really 
simple definition. He says, prayer is talking with God about what we're doing together. Or he says another time, it's conversation with God about matters of mutual concern. <laughs> it's talking with God about what we're doing together. Um, and of course, prayer is also lots of other things. Um, but maybe sometimes we have this very elevated view of prayer that ends up intimidating us, this kind of very high-octane view of prayer, uh, where we, we want every prayer time to be lifted up into the heavens and kind of lost in wonder, love, and praise. Um, or we want every prayer time to be really theologically deep, where we're meditating in terms on, on, on the, the, the attributes of God uh, and his characteristics. Uh, or we want to pray all the time for uh, wars that are happening in other parts of the world, and famine in Africa, and the political situation in Myanmar, and all these kind of big things. Um, and I hope our prayer lives end up including all those things. But I also think we have to begin here with simply sharing our hearts and sharing life and talking to our Father about what we're doing today, <laughs> and sharing the things that are on our hearts. Um, perhaps the two most simple practices in prayer, which many Christians have found helpful, is morning prayer, where we begin the day, bringing the day ahead to God, and just asking for help and grace and wisdom for the day ahead. And then evening prayer at the end of the day, where we review the day in God's company, and we confess our sins, and we give thanks for blessings, and we learn lessons, and we commit ourselves to God for the night and for the next day. Really simple pattern, but I think it, it makes a huge difference to our lives. And if you have a few minutes of lunchtime prayer, you've got your three times a day. Um, uh, last thing is this. Um, prayer at its heart is just talking with God about what we're doing together. But I do also want to encourage you, as you do that, we move on, Kim. Um, to start to pray for others. Um, it's good that prayer begins with us talking with God about our day, but our prayers can become very self-centered. And we need to remember to look out and pray for others. Um, and I want to encourage you, don't, don't try and pray for everyone and everything. Um, ask God to put a few people on your heart and start by praying faithfully for them. Um, I want to make a case for something else that's become unfashionable, uh, which is the prayer list. <laughs> there, there's a picture of a prayer list. Um, uh, because we forget uh, who to pray for and who, who's on our heart and who we want to be faithful and praying for. Um, I know someone uh, who inspires me by their example who prays every day in a chair by the window and they, they use pens that can write on the window and when God puts someone on their heart, their name goes up on the window. Um, and so, and sometimes it's people they know well, and sometimes it's relevant strangers. But when they feel that little tug in their spirit of God putting someone on their heart, they go on the window. And every time they look out the window, they're reminded. And then also, and this bit's actually important too, sometimes when the prayer is answered, or just the season passes, the name might come off, and someone else's name might come up. Because otherwise, we get overwhelmed. Uh, but kind of pray for everybody uh, all the time. Uh, maybe a practice like that uh, might work for you as well. You can find your own way. Uh, but to start to pray for others and ask God uh, to put people in your heart. Um, I said last thing, that was second last thing. Last thing is this. Um, we, 
Uh, we've developed an MCF over the last number of years, um, uh, a very simple practice, which I think is, is incredibly helpful. And it was Brian Evans uh, who started it, and then Joanna Cochran took it on, and Colin's been helping me recently uh, to revive it again, which is we have a, a list with the names of everybody in our church. Uh, we have it set out, so you pray every day for a few people by name. Uh, and uh, we've had a lot of uh, sort of uh, change and growth in the church in the last couple of years, so the list we have uh, is out of date. So we have been working really hard uh, to update it, and Colin has been formatting it, and it's going to be available this week. Um, so it's a really simple um, putting into practice of what I'm talking about this morning. Um, we're we're going to email it to you this week and you can print it out yourself. We'll have paper copies here in the building for you to pick up as well. Um, but I'd love you to put that, put that in your place where you pray. Um, and it only takes a minute every day just to pray by name for others in your church. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another. That's, that's what gives our life together kind of its breath, uh, its life. Uh, and I think that really simple practice uh, can be life-changing for us as individuals and for us, uh, the church. Uh, so that's your really simple application uh, at the end of what I've, what I've shared. So let me pray for us, um, and then we're going to sing together uh, one more time uh, before we, we break bread and wine. I'm actually going to pray a prayer uh, that was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was in prison. Um, and this, this was his early morning prayer every morning. And you can, you can personalize this for yourself. Oh God, early in the morning, I cry to you, help me to pray. To concentrate my thoughts on you, I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Lord Jesus Christ, you were poor and in distress, a captive and forsaken as I am. You know all that man's troubles. You abide with me when all men fail me. You remember and seek me. It is your will that I should know you and turn to you. Lord, I hear your call and I follow. Help me.